Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyer Labs. Today we are lucky enough to have Lyndon, Lyndon Tibbetts with us. And Lyndon is the co-founder and CEO of IFT. And IFT, which stands for If This Then That, is an online service that connects a huge variety of apps, services, and smart devices like light bulbs, thermostats, and it's like the glue you can, where you can connect lots of different things. So, for example, if you want a, an email to, as, a, as a reminder to put on sunscreen when the UV index is high, you can set that up with IFT. So it's pretty cool. And uh, there's, they have lots of different uh, applications like that you can connect. So I invited Lyndon on the show to share what they're working on and how it will affect all of us, and especially around the Internet of Things space. So, Lyndon, thanks for joining us today. Dave, thank you. Really, uh, really looking forward to chatting with you. Great. And so, yeah, can you uh, first uh, share your background with us a little bit before? Sure, sure. Before I'll, I'll give you, uh, uh, you know, give you a little bit of a background. So I'm not quite, not quite a, a flyover state, but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm from Texas. Oh, nice. uh, so you know, you know, Midwest. I was born and raised just south of Dallas. Um, you know, right now I'm I'm out here and it is based. Uh, in San Francisco. So I've been out here in the Bay Area now for, oh, shoot, uh, 16, 16 years now. And, uh, yeah, I knew from a, a pretty young age that this is where I, I wanted to be. Um, and, you know, typical, you know, I was a computer kid uh, from probably 11 or 12 on. Uh, so video games, Pixar, Star Wars, and LucasArts and all that kind of stuff. So uh, uh, that that brought me out here to the Bay Area. Um, but I think really quickly, so did computer engineering in school um, and then worked some in video games at Electronic Arts. And I think really quickly figured out that, you know, there was a lot more uh, to the world of, of computing than just games and movies. Um, still, still a big fan of both. Uh, and uh, I, I think very quickly got into to thinking about how to build tools for creativity. Um, and, uh, I think a big part of that, um, was this interest, uh, after that time at electronic arts in design. So did lots of, of one-off design projects that really, really into, uh, uh, building, uh, flash based visualizations. You know, I, I got big into action script, uh, if you're familiar with, uh, programming flash at all. Um, but, uh, huge into action script just in time for it to go away and kind of <laughs> get thrown out of all the, the modern browsers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway, some of that stuff. I uh, got my foot in the door at the design firm IDEO uh, uh, down in Palo Alto here in the Bay Area. Um, and that, uh, I think, from there really kind of launched uh, a lot of the, the the interest in what eventually became IFT. Um, so, yeah, so that's my background, kind of a mix of uh, being from Texas, uh, engineering, and design. Interesting. That's great. And so when you're uh, working on video games, you know, what was it that – kind of made you think like oh i want to do something else was it the actual work or was it feels like you should do more for the world or um, well you know at the time but so this was back uh i, I think it was right at, in 2005 so kind of just before the iphone just before uh you know the app store and, and a lot of the kind of in the arcade uh stuff that both microsoft and then eventually playstation uh, uh, we're, we're, we're going to do. So there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, outlets or at least not for somebody that wasn't 
kind of fully plugged in uh, just out of school to pursue uh, something where you could build a game as a small group, as a small team. It was kind of really big, big mm. business. So, in fact, I was on team. I think I was uh, the engineer 230. Wow. <laughs> you know, we were kind of at the tail end of a big project. On one game. was working uh, or on one game. And it was uh, wow. the game I was working on was the Sims 2 console port. Um, so we were porting the Sims 2 from PC to Xbox wow. and PlayStation. And uh, I think it was the GameCube at the time. Um, so, so anyways, yeah, it was, uh, it was an amazing experience. You know, I, 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 I there was actually nothing wrong with the, the work itself. Uh, but, you know, frankly, it, it wasn't super creative. Um, and I think what was so interesting was that the game itself, you know, The Sims, I think is incredibly creative. Yeah, it allows yeah. people to kind of tell their own stories, you know, kind of the ultimate, you know, kind of, uh, uh nerd dream of controlling, uh, reality. And I think what's so funny is, is that's, kind of how I think about what, what it does. Um, so in a way it kind of all tied it, tied it all together. And that's why I say I got really interested in this idea of creative tools, uh, beyond just video games. Gotcha. makes sense. Okay. And so, uh, at IDO, what, you know, why did they hire you? What did you start uh, working on when you were there? Sure. Um, so I was lucky enough uh, to kind of sneak in the back door. You know, IDEO is a big design firm, and I a lot of my skills were still in the, the world of engineering. So I snuck in as an engineer um, uh, and uh, was kind of this design-obsessed engineer. So ended up bothering enough people uh, over a long enough time to do some design work um, uh, and really start to get exposed to uh, a lot of the ideas that eventually uh, led to it. And so what the, the team we worked on uh, there for, for a long time was uh, around helping uh, both IDEO and then other clients uh, of IDEO think about their internal uh, intranet system. Um, I think of it as kind of like, you know, you know, what would Facebook or, you know, now we have Slack and all these other great tools, but what would some of these kind of more consumer-oriented tools look like as they came into and were brought into uh, a larger enterprise and then kind of how did they foster collaboration and sharing you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So uh, that's what I originally started working on and uh, uh, spent the, the bulk of my time there doing. Interesting. So do you have any uh, good lessons? I mean, IDEO is a, a pretty famous design firm, like any good uh, lessons or processes that you came away with that you still think about now sure. has helped, helped you? Oh, I think I think there was uh, something that I was just absolutely enamored with, and I, I credit with having a lot of influence on uh, than what it has become. Uh, and that was this idea of so there was, there was uh, uh, someone there, a partner there uh, named Jane Fulton Surrey. She was uh, she was uh, uh, you know well known uh, for being one of the first uh, 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 psychologists to work at a design firm, um, uh, and so somebody that was really concerned with, you know, and this is now all sounds uh, kind of silly in retrospect, but really concerned with the people even more so than the product. Hmm. Um, and I think really begin to build out a lot of that influence that IDEO now has around human-centered design and really thinking about the needs of the people that use these products. And uh, she actually had this, this book. Um, it was really a, a, a small uh, picture book called Thoughtless Acts. Um, and I remember looking at that the first time and kind of 
seeing this like brand new world opened up that was kind of there all the time, but then kind of tuning into it. And then what was so, so unique about it was Thoughtless Acts really dealt with the ways in which people use products in their environment um, to kind of better suit their needs. Um, silly examples, things like, uh, uh, you know, people that tie their, uh, the string on their, their tee uh, to the, the handle on their cup. Or people that uh, put a, a pencil behind their ear to free their hands up so they don't lose their pencil. Um, or even things as, as, as simplistic as like, you know, you're trying to carry a, a package indoors um, and you like use your hip to open the door uh, as you kind of scoot in. Um, and so all these are these like these really almost, you know, almost mundane examples of the ways in which people adapt to and use uh, whether that's physical objects in their environment or, or other tools um, to actually live life and, and essentially manipulate and improve their reality. Um, and I think the, the big influence was that uh, uh, on if was that, okay, well, everybody was capable of, of doing this in their physical world. We did this, you know, hundreds of times per day. You know, we make all kinds of decisions about, um, you know, what, what outfit should we wear based on the weather or whether I've got a big important meeting. Um, or how do I organize the, the living room uh, based on how the sun comes in the window uh, at certain hours of the day? And so effectively, in the physical world, everybody is an expert programmer. Now, no one goes around talking about it like that or really thinking about it like that, but that, that's really what it is. We're, we're all kind of constantly manipulating our physical reality to improve our life. Um, and what's so funny is that as you cross over from the physical world, uh, to the digital world, um, a lot of that control and that flexibility really fades away. Um, uh, you, you essentially, to, to program your digital world, you have to be a programmer. Um, and so I think that was kind of the big injustice and the big problem uh, that really kind of set us out to start if and figure out, okay, well, how do we help people make some of those same connections um, in, this, in this digital reality that we're building? Um, and then what happens as that digital reality and that physical reality uh, begin to merge and begin to become the, the, the same thing. Uh, and so all of those things uh, really kind of uh, uh, crystallized during my time there at IU, and, and that's what uh, kind of launched it. Interesting. And all right. And before we get too far, can you maybe just give a I did a, I did a poor job in the intro, but just a, a brief overview on IFT and what it does. Sure, of course, of course. Yeah, no, I, I think you did uh, a fine job. You know, okay. we're uh, one of one of the things that that's unique about if is we're not an easy thing to explain, which is I think a, a great challenge to have. But what most people should aim for uh, for building something kind of truly, truly new. Um, so, so anyways, uh, uh, if is about helping people make simple connections between the the stuff they already use. Um, so right now we've, we've basically surrounded ourselves with um, more services than we can really count. Um, and you ask kind of, well, what is a service? Well, Facebook is a service. Netflix is a service. Uh, uh, if, you're, if your car is connected to the Internet, uh, whether that's the OnStore or we have like EW on it, that's connected to the Internet, it's a service. Um, so all of these things are connecting to the Internet, essentially uh, as software uh, continues to influence every single aspect of our lives, more and more physical objects and more and more kind of abstract digital services um, now have information about who we are and capabilities, things that it can do on our behalf. 
And the big problem there is, is that all of those services, um, the way in which we think about building services and software since the beginning of software time uh, has been about silos. Um, it's about storing data in one place, having some application logic on top, and then having an interface, a website, an app, uh, something you talk to, so on and so forth. And none of these silos work well together. And so as we surround ourselves with more and more of these silos, it is about helping people be confident that those silos will work together. That one silo, that your BMW can access your ADT alarm system um, uh, and let you know if someone breaks into your house when you're away. Um, or, uh, you know, uh, 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 Netflix uh, can, can better improve its movie recommendations uh, by understanding what movies you actually go to in the physical world. Um, and all of this requires accessing information that right now is locked up within these silos. And IST aims to be the way in which people break down those silos and make some of these connections for themselves. Interesting. And I'm sorry, that was a long, that was a no, long that was great. No, that was great. I can do a, I can do a shorter <laughs> one, but I figured we have some time off. No, that was perfect. Uh, and, yeah, and, and, uh, get into it. And, and what year do you start and how much money have you raised and how many employees sure. do you have? Just uh, some brief so, stats. <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, we, yeah, we, we launched the service uh, out of my, my uh, living room in the, the end of 2010. Okay. Um, so we've been around for, for quite some time uh, as, a, as a startup. And uh, right, now, right now we've raised uh, just around $40 million total. Uh, we're, we're incredibly lucky to have uh, investors that really – uh, buy into and believe in, uh, you know, just the size of this problem that we're trying to tackle. Um, and right now we, we've got a team of, of 32 people. We're all here, uh, in San Francisco. We work out of an office at Fifth and Market that's, that's right downtown. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of a, a positive and passionate and incredibly driven, uh, bunch of individuals. Interesting. Yeah. Well, what you, yeah, what you're doing could really open the digital world for people. And uh, it's just more and more as you connect more and make it easier. And, and so, and how, uh, can you, uh, oh, let's, let's go back to the beginning of the, of sure. if, you know, what was the, what were, do you remember what the first initial, uh, um, services you connected and the first, one of the first recipes that, uh, or if totally. Uh, so there was a handful of, of, of services, uh, that were really, really early on. So one of those, I think Twitter was the second service. Um, I actually think, Perhaps email was the first. Uh, everybody loves email. <laughs> um, weather, weather was an early service, um, and then I think uh, you know Twilio was just getting started. We used Twilio to do an, an SMS-based service, and I think the first actual recipe. Now, back in the day when we launched, we we called them tasks, and then we called them statements, and then eventually we called them recipes. Um, uh, so the first task. Uh, which uh, was essentially the first recipe, I believe, was uh, a weather-based one. You know, if it was, if it went over a certain temperature, uh, then send me an SMS. So that was the the first recipe I ever set up. I don't think I have that one running, but I think I have recipe number nine <laughs> still running. Um, and effectively, what that one is, it sends me a reminder. Uh, right now, we upgraded to push notifications, so it went from SMS to push notifications. Um, and uh, it sends me a reminder every day at 9.45 a.m. Uh, that kind of reminds me, invest in my team, uh, invest in myself, 
uh, you know, stay, stay positive and passionate and, you know, build something that, that really matters. Mm. Um, so it's kind of a daily, a daily, uh, 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 motivational message, if you will. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. We probably, we probably need that every hour. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, and I actually, <laughs> I actually had a recipe early on that was every hour, but it was really more of a, like, is it's still alive. I think it's still alive. Uh, it's, yeah, it's so if I didn't get it, then I would immediately run back to my computer and figure out what was going on. So, <laughs> and, um, and can you describe how you put together these services and connect them? Uh, I, I was, and do you connect services that don't always have a, an API or an application program interface or how do sure. you, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we've been incredibly lucky. We started off and then and back in 2010, um, you know, there was still lots and lots of excitement around this idea of kind of open and publicly accessible APIs. It's kind of the golden age for APIs. I think, uh, uh, Flickr uh, had, you know, kind of, uh, this moment when they had this open API and there was kind of all these different, you know, uh, uh, kind of new original ideas built around that Flickr API. Um, and I think what was really interesting is that uh, I think the API is not only alive and well, I think it's more important than ever today. But I think uh, this idea of having this like open API, uh, I think, has largely uh, 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 gone away in favor of more specific kind of developer tools and even APIs now that are essentially businesses. Twilio is, is a great example of that. SendGrid sends email. We use that service as well. Um, so there's now a lot of businesses that are essentially just APIs. Um, and we were very lucky in this kind of golden age of open APIs uh, to be able to, to plug in to a lot of those APIs. And we, we essentially built the first uh, what we call channels. So, you know, Flickr is a channel and, and SMS is a channel. And Right now we have like location and BMW and that thermostat. Those are all channels. Uh, so we built the, the, the original 60 channels in-house using those open APIs. And then at that point, we actually uh, got enough momentum going um, uh, to actually to start to work with folks more closely, uh, our, our partners, and get access to APIs that weren't necessarily just kind of open and available. Um, and then eventually, uh, we convinced our, our partners to actually build on our API, which we build on our platform. And now the, the vast majority of the, I believe we're now at 360 publicly launched uh, uh, services or channels uh, are now built on top of the IF API. Wow. Um, uh, and uh, so we have this kind of partner program that's still largely underneath the surface. Uh, we, I think we have now over 600 companies actively working on uh, that, that integration with IF. Um, and we're, we're kind of getting closer and closer to unveiling this, this platform. Um, and so a, a lot of that has now kind of been reversed. Uh, we've built up enough momentum uh, and a big enough brand and user base uh, that folks are, are finding us and, and doing the work and maintaining and improving that integration over time. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So let's talk a little about the Internet of Things. And uh, you've actually already mentioned, sure. I think, some uh, recipes a little bit on the side. But uh, when did you kind of start getting, connecting physical devices and where do you see that uh, if you sure. Um, yeah. uh, boy, that 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 has all happened. Uh, I think both faster and slower than we expected. <laughs> you know, on one hand, back in 2010 when we launched, uh, in fact, we we had a lot of scenarios that we thought about. Okay, well, what would happen if some of this stuff, uh, this this physical stuff, 
connected to the internet? Would that still work? Would that still make sense? Were we building something? So, in fact, you know, like I said, the idea originated from observations on how people use objects in the physical world. Um, and so, uh, we knew that was going to be a thing, but we really didn't know how, how quickly that was going to be a thing. And I think the, you know, the first service and, and the first company that reached out to us and found us uh, was Belkin. And they had a, a product that they were going to go to market with called the Wemo Switch. And I think that was in 2011 or 2012. So very quickly after we launched the service, um, we got our first connected device channel with a simple switch. You plug something else into it, turn it on and off. Um, and, you know, kind of a fantastic product. They still have improved that over the years. Um, and uh, I think that that really kicked everything off. And it, it just happened to be the way that we thought about the world and all these kind of physical products uh, was still very singular. Uh, the, the device itself was really cool. That was what was going to get a lot of the attention. In fact, that was what was going to drive the business model for a lot of these companies. So many of these companies, whether they're Nest or Wemo or... Um, uh, you know, even Amazon Alexa, uh, to some regard, you know, it's it's really about the money that's made off the purchase of the device. But you know, just about everybody you talk to um, knows that long term, the real opportunity is in the service that that device uh, can actually bring about because it's connected to the internet. And the way that it works, and the way that we've always viewed the world, has been very service centric. So we actually don't communicate directly with any devices but we communicate with the back-end internet service that then communicates to that device. And so uh, I think in that way, we were set up um, uh, in a way that would really make sense as all these connected devices continue to evolve, continue to improve, and really just become more and more numerous. You know, I, I, I like to say that there's not a noun that you can name that isn't someday going to be imbued with software and connected to the internet. Huh. Um, it's just really a matter of time and also a matter of value. Uh, how, how, you know, how, how valuable is it to the person that's going to adopt that product? How easy is it to use? How expensive, you know, or inexpensive is maybe a better way to think about it. Uh, is it going to be? And, uh, it, it's, it's all just inevitable. And I think it's, I think it's going to be incredible. It's, it's not something that uh, we can look at how a lot of this connected device stuff has played out so far, uh, and really anticipate what another 10 years is going to look like. Um, and I think we'll get to, you know, this idea of, of, of essentially people being able to program their reality, uh, being able to kind of control every single thing around them and feel confident that those things are connected to the internet, not apprehensive. Uh, right now, I think there's kind of a great deal of apprehension around things connecting to the internet that I think we'll, we'll actually be able to cut through and, and, and give people a lot more confidence in. And, and, with that, I mean, where, where do you see Efton three or five or 10 or 50 years? Um, maybe not 50, but sure. you know, where, you sure. know, how seamless do you want to make it for the users or do you want to connect to more services or what kind of, what's your uh, ideal vision if you could uh, create it in the next 10 years? Totally. Um, I see it as essentially the way in which information is exchanged on the internet. Um, so, and that's an ex exchange between services. So think of really what, what we're building is it's kind of akin to PayPal, uh, but instead of just a financial exchange, uh, uh, if it's about information exchange. Um, so just back to that example of like BMW, uh, knowing that someone has broken into your house because it's connected to your home security system. 
um, or, or Netflix being able to recommend better movies uh, because it knows more about you. Um, as an end user right now, granting that permission and granting that access, uh, there's no kind of standard way to do that. You know, again, back to this, you know, PayPal or, you know, Visa, those are kind of standardized ways for you as an end user to make an exchange, to essentially pay for something. Um, and we think there also needs to be a standardized way uh, for an end user to exchange information that's locked away in one service with another service. Um, and we think IFT is that that kind of missing piece. Um, I think what's so exciting about that is, is we're uh, taking a very kind of radically different approach than some of the big, you know, the, the big companies that are out there, the Googles and the Amazons, the Microsofts and the Apples of the world. Um, they want to own the interface. And, and we think that's just fine. I think uh, interfaces are fantastic. Um, we're going to go from apps to bots to uh, uh, virtual kind of AI-based assistance to virtual reality, to augmented reality. I think we're just like so many phenomenal new ways for us to interact with and interface with uh, the, the internet and, and this, this, you know, the, the, the ways of technologies that have yet to land. Um, but if is about working with all of those interfaces and giving people the confidence, uh, that their services, uh, can share information and do that in a way that they're in control of, that they, they actually become more confident in the fact that as they add a new service to their life, as they sign up for um, uh, a new a new uh, subscription as they sign up to Hulu or or as they buy a connected refrigerator or a connected doorbell um, that they know if that if that product or that service works with it it's going to be compatible and it's going to work with all the other things that they've already surrounded themselves with um, so that that's what we want to be we want to stand for compatibility um, control and confidence uh, in your digital information. Interesting. Well, that's a, I like that vision a lot and that would be very helpful for the, for everyone. That's for sure. And, uh, yeah, like you said, it would be, it's a very inclusive vision too, right? Allowing everyone to try to participate in the future of a uh, digital, which is nice. Um, and I think, awesome. yeah. And, but yeah, I think that's a good way to end the, the interview. Unfortunately, I think we're about cool. out of time here, but, cool. uh, that was great. Lyndon. I really appreciate your time and your thoughts and what you guys are doing. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Dave. Uh, excited, excited for for you to have me on, and uh, hello to everybody in in the Midwest. <laughs> That's right, yeah, the Midwest and beyond. Um, but uh, yeah, and thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Flyer Labs. As always, I really appreciate, it, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks everyone, and thanks, Lyndon.